You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the May 2nd, 2018 broadcast in the last month of our sixth season. Next month will be in our seventh year. On and near this day in history, on May 1st, Gwendolyn Brooks, the first African-American awarded a Pulitzer Prize for poetry in 1950. And also on that day, Howard University was chartered in 1867. On May 2nd, the first game of National Negro Baseball League was played in Indianapolis, 1920. And on May 4th, CORE began the Freedom Rides from Washington, D.C. to force desegregation of Southern bus terminals in 1961. 
courtesy of Alabama political activist and abolitionist Swift Justice from the Free Alabama Movement and the Unheard Voices OTCJ Youth Movement, we've got a special guest joining us tonight, Christopher Scott Brewer, a Democratic candidate for District 33 of the Alabama House of Representatives. He's in favor or supportive of rolling back drug laws, retroactive sentencing reform, and cannabis legalization. Last night during our pre-interview conversation, Scott discovered that the Alabama state constitution has its own exception clause allowing for prison slavery. We'll talk about that and more. If you like what you hear tonight, the primary election is being held on June 5th, 2018, and the general election will take place on November 6, 2018. Always remember to support candidates that support abolitionists. In our segment, The Slave Catcher Chronicles, we focus on how the New York Police Department continues to target minorities over white New Yorkers for marijuana arrests. Robert Ganji, the director of the Police Reform Organizing Project, said 93% of the nearly 4,100 pot possession busts made in the first three months of 2018 involved people of color, citing state statistics. We'll also cover Milwaukee, which had the same dirt uncovered, stating... The city of Milwaukee and the ACLU of Wisconsin have reached a tentative settlement in a class action civil rights lawsuit alleging that Milwaukee police engage in stop and frisk practices targeting African Americans and Latinos. I know I said I didn't want to talk about fools, but the latest insane muckery has forced my hand, so I produced a couple of videos on Kanye West and Bill Cosby. I'll explain about those videos later. Speaking of new videos, Former Rikers Island CO and new abolitionist radio guest Robin K. Miller has released the trailer to her new series, Rock Island. Make sure that you get a chance, you check it out. Congratulations, Robin. Last week, we explained how Lee Correctional Prisons may have been staging gladiator games. A prisoner from Lee Correctional states, that is exactly what happened. We'll try to play his video statement tonight. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice and the Legacy Museum from enslavement to mass incarceration just opened up April 26th in Alabama, and it looks like a huge success. We'll play a clip from Brian Stevenson's interview on Democracy Now!, which he had yesterday. Maybe it will help in understanding. In direct action news, once again, we want to remind you about a call for a Juneteenth 2018 mobilization against prison slavery from SPARC this year. Supporters of Operation Push are calling on all opponents of mass incarceration and modern-day slavery internationally to honor the Juneteenth holiday, Tuesday, June 19, 2018, with a community organizing and direct action. In collaboration with my brother Henry Henderson in Columbia and Prismatic Dreams, I've arranged to put together a panel discussion and a spoken word performance on Juneteenth in Columbia, South Carolina. Hopefully, many of our community will attend. Another reminder... A nationwide prison slave labor work strike is being called for on August 21st. At least six states are already on board. If you know someone inside, tell them what's going down. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is William Henry Johnson, 1111-1833 to 1918. He was a black abolitionist, politician, and crusader for the rights of blacks. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is James Owens, Jr., a Baltimore man who spent 21 years in prison for murder he was always said that he did not commit. DNA evidence led to his release in 2008. 
And before the end of 2018, he is expected to receive $9 million in compensation. As usual, we'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to 13th Amendment slavery from the perspectives of slavery abolitionists. We'll also update you on the Nixon Tapes research team when we have an opportunity. Be sure to follow the information on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio and also support our efforts by joining the community.blacktalkradionetwork.com and finding links on our abolitionist planning page. So, let's get this started. Got a question or comment? You can call us at 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, what's good with you, Max? Um, Shout out to, what's the sister name again? I do recall her interview. Robin? Robin K. Miller. Robin K. Miller. And what's the name of that? Is this going to be on TV? Is it going to be a TV series called Rock Island? Wow. Wow. That's great. Especially if it covers modern day slavery and human trafficking. Um, That will be great in in any capacity. That will be great, man. Um, I know you said you made a video about Bill Cosby and Kanye West. I said what I've had to say in the past about Cosby. Um, um, I'm going to just say, no, I'm not going to say anything on that. Um, but let me say something about Kanye West. Kanye made those ignorant comments, which most people have heard. I did not hear them uh, till today about slavery being a choice. And then I'm seeing people splitting hairs about those choices. And I, and I get what the people who are saying. It was, they did have a choice. I get what you were saying. I get what you were saying. But that's not what Kanye implied. I get that I could be Frederick Douglass and I can choose to let this man continue to enslave me or I can choose to... What, what did uh, Frederick Douglass say about getting freedom with his feet? Um, I can choose to... to uh, escape like Harriet Tubman and then I can also choose to go back and help other victims so there were choices there were choices being made but what Kanye said I, again this is my problem with most of America is reading comprehension or comprehending what you're hearing Kanye West was implying that since slavery lasted 400 years and if you want to get technical it's still going on by way of the 13th Amendment. So that's 550 years on this continent of North America. But he was implying that it went on so long that, hey, they must have chose to stay, chosen to stay in slavery, which is it, it's a asinine, ignorant comment. But after I said what I had to say on social media about Kanye's statements, I chose then to turn the focus to something else he said that I am in complete agreement with. Kanye West said, I think that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but Americans should be able to unite around the issue of prisons, which we know he talking about prison slavery because we have his track, New Slaves, where where he mentions Correction Corporation by name. So we and so I find it awful interesting. Again, you know, I'm not faulting anyone for uh, talking about, discussing, debating any aspect 
whenever slavery is the topic, then, you know, we should we should applaud that. Even if they bring it in a negative light, well, that just gives us a chance to bring the truth. But when but when he said that Americans should be able to unite around the issue of prison slavery, it's awful funny that nobody is latching on to that statement and it's not getting an airplay if you will, or it's not on the subject of people's minds. They just going to leave that part out. And I absolutely am 100% in agreement that if we can't unite around nothing else as, a, as, as black people or as Americans, since all, since Americans are most impacted by slavery, then what, what is there to unite around? We can't unite around that then I don't see us uh, uniting around anything of substance. So those are my comments on Kanye. But I'm interested I, to hear your videos. So I'll check them out. I uh, agree with you, Scotty. Um, but, uh, you know, when I put these things out, like when I make the videos on certain subjects and people, I usually mix it with poetry and music, and I let them tell their own stories. I don't even get my words in edgewise. I just let somebody else tell the story, usually the person who is in the spotlight. And that's what I did with this video here, uh, where you'll hear him talking about it. And you know, when he, he, you said about prison slavery, he was very specific in that interview about what kind of prison he was talking about. He specifically said mental slavery and that we're under mental control. He wasn't talking about physical prisons in that. Well, he mentioned prisons. He mentioned prison in the TMC uh, Yeah, he said it's a prison of the mind. Is what he said. So, so what do you mean? I got a sound bite, a chopped off sound bite, because when he says that yeah. people should be able to unite around prisons, what came after that? Um, we could listen to it if you like. I have it on that video that I made. Well, well we'll listen to it a- after our guests, and we'll hash that out because I'm pretty sure he was talking about physical prisons. I would like to think so, considering uh, prison slaves, uh, when he was talking about CCA and all of that and his music, and it's not the first time he mentioned it. So I would like to think that, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you would like to reintroduce our guests and we could get ready to bring our our, uh, guest, Mr. Christopher Scott Brewer, into this conversation. Uh, Yeah, sure, Scotty. I I was hoping to just mention a couple other things before we got to our guests. Is that all right? Yes, yeah, sure. Things. We still got about um, three minutes. Okay, perfect. Uh, I just wanted to point out that not only did I do the Kanye, but I also did one on Bill Cosby, again, using his own words to say what he's saying. And I showed how, where he gets his information, where his ideas about how teenage pre- pregnancy and unwed uh, women out here having babies are the problem for all black people. So it's, it's pretty amazing to see that video. It's kind of long, so I'll put it on the uh, forum so people can check it out and also I'm looking forward to uh, talk, hearing that clip tonight from Brian Stevenson he said something that was just profound and I, I'm looking forward to sharing that so with that being said let me go ahead and do as Scotty said and introduce our guest first I'd like to say uh, thank you to our brother Swift Justice and uh, his beautiful wife and uh, the people of the Free Alabama Movement who uh, helped make this happen uh, this brother, for those that don't know, is a political activist from behind bars. And he's getting more things done, making more impact than most people who are walking free every single day. 
Uh, it's an amazing thing to consider. Well, Christopher Scott Brewer, a Democratic candidate for District 33 of the Alabama House of Representatives, he's in favor, as I said earlier, from what I read of previous interviews, of supportive of rolling back drug laws and, and retroactive retroactive sentencing reform. So I guess he's saying, you know, if we roll back these drug laws and we reduce the sentencing, we're going to make that retroactive. And that's a, a wonderful thing to consider. He's also uh, seem, seemingly in favor of cannabis legalization. Or maybe it's just that he sees the train coming and like, you ain't going to stop that, so we might as well get on. And last night, we had a little bit of a conversation, and uh, it was it was a very fruitful conversation just talking a little bit about, you know, what we're doing here, and so he's not surprised when he came on air, and uh, seeing where he stood at. And while we were conversating, he found out that the Alabama State Constitution has its own exception clause to prison slavery. And I don't know if it was the first time he'd ever seen it, but it seemed like it was. I guess I'll ask him that once he comes on. Because we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more tonight with Christopher Scott Brewer, a Democratic candidate for District 33 in the Alabama House of Representatives. Christopher, are you here? Or Scott, are you here? Yes, hey, how are you? Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, you've already spoke to me, I'm Max, and yep. my uh, co-host is Scotty Reed. Greetings. Scotty, greetings, how are you? I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing a lot better than so many other people out there. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about those people that have been impacted by modern day slavery. And that's not my term. I mean, that's a term we came up with, but it's based on the 13th Amendment, which Max just mentioned. You know, you was made aware of the very same exception clause in the state of Alabama. So looking forward to hearing your thoughts on these issues. And thank you again for joining us. Welcome, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, Scott, uh, it's, it's okay to call you Scott? Absolutely. Okay, Scott. Well, Scott, uh-oh. if I could ask you to do this, if you could turn the volume of your microphone up just a tad, because you're coming in a little low. Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming up. That's perfect. That's perfect, right there. All right, there you go. So, huh. Scott, if you don't mind introducing yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about what you what you're about, and then I'd like to hear after that uh, what happened in your head after our conversation last night, and you read that. Uh, amendment which allows for prison slavery uh yeah in the alabama constitution well i'm i'm a <coughs> i'm a 35 year long uh singer songwriter musician and um i've had a little bit of publishing um i've been a working class man all my life uh, to make ends meet uh like anybody else we live paycheck to paycheck can't uh build a savings account and uh I probably touched on a lot of different fields, a jack-of-all-trades kind of in a way. Um, I got interested in uh, running for office and serving my my community when uh, I noticed that uh, our town had gotten uh, very deteriorated. We're a small town here. Um, A lot of small towns across the country, across the nation, are are suffering uh, that same uh, effect from uh, manufacturing leaving and stuff like that. We've been a mill town here uh, forever, and... uh, when uh, we lost paper and textiles, we haven't recovered from that. So uh, the uh, economic uh, state of um, my district and my community got me interested in uh, wanting to serve. I've got a little bit of service in my blood. My mother was a teacher for 40 years. Uh, my father died in Vietnam in 1967 as a career Army Staff Sergeant. Uh, he was there to uh, 
um, as a part of an advisory team. Uh, died three days in country. Um, so, you know, public service, I think, is just a sort of a natural step for somebody who uh, come from my background in music, who had a lot of uh, ideals uh, to you know that whole saying about uh, music can change the world you know when you're a young person you kind of hope that you might be able to affect people's uh, emotions and um, and and change you know people uh, through music uh, now being uh, 53 years old uh, in my uh, mid stage of life I guess um, and with a couple of little children because I had children late um, I'm very concerned about uh, the future of my, my kids uh, and, her, and their peers um, and families who suffer uh, uh, injustices, uh, families who suffer uh, uh, economic struggle just like we do, uh, or, you know, families who are worse. Um, now, I don't have a district that's, you know, uh, um, we don't even have a prison. We don't have a prison in my district, so I don't have a, a, a direct contact with a prison that, that, that I, that's going to be affecting uh or that I'm affected by uh, as a uh, citizen in this district. But now we do have, uh, as y'all know, uh, some uh, overcrowded prisons in Alabama. We are about uh, sitting on, uh, I believe it was either 24,000 to 29,000 in a capacity of 14,000. 200%. 200%. And that is absolutely uh, unacceptable. We're waiting on uh, Kay Ivey, our interim governor, who came in after a very embarrassing uh, Republican governor and uh, who got uh, put out of office, uh, carried out on a log basically because his uh, sex scandals and behavior, and uh, we had a lot of corruption in Montgomery with Republicans. Uh, they have been the party of uh, get tough on crime ideology, and uh, I believe that they've affected uh, directly the uh, mass incarceration and the 200% uh, rate that we have in our prisons right now. Our prisons are old. They need uh, massive reform, massive remodeling, um, or we're going to have to build something new uh, to replace them with. But now there's a large uh, uh, resistance to uh, people in Alabama, Alabamians uh, who are against building new prisons. I don't think... Uh, we're all against building uh, a new and better prison to house uh, what we need to house or to house capacity, but expanding on capacity is what worries us the most, expanding on capacity. Um, if we begin expanding on capacity, if, if we start uh, uh, building prisons to create more units, then we know, we know uh, for a fact that uh, under this uh, Republican ideology for getting tough on crime, then the, uh, we're not going to see justice reforms, and they're going to uh, try to get convictions in order to fill those units. Uh, as far as uh, uh, taking a look at the uh, Alabama Constitution last night, yes, you brought that to my attention. And I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware that it included an exception clause uh, as well. But I would, I would like to go a little bit further, too, and say, on you know, even on the 13th Amendment, uh, the exception clause uh, is is remarkable. It's, it's remarkable that it's just now getting the attention uh, it deserves. Uh, I don't know that 
there was a preponderance of Americans who understood that, that the exception clause was there. Yes, the, there has always been abolitionists fighting against legalized slavery. Even Frederick Douglass himself denounced the emancipation as a stupendous fraud after traveling mm-hmm. through South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. He did that on the anniversary of the emancipation in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So uh, throughout history, there's been people talking about it, but there's also been a fight to silence those voices because what we're talking right. about is crimes against humanity. It's not right. something that people are just going to say, okay, I did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, yeah. And we, hey. ha- we are... Go ahead. I, well, I was just, you know, it, I mean, you're absolutely correct, and and and... and... And it it just seems like just now it's just really starting to take off in the mainstream. Um, what you're talking about, abolitionists talking about it back then and stuff like that. Where was that in the history books? Well, you know, uh, where Scott, was the where was the exception clause for us to learn about? Exactly. You know, as children in the history books. Exactly. So it just goes to show that the history books have been, you know, in, incredibly uh, manipulated. Uh, Scott, um, this is Scott T. Um, asking you a question. Um, well, not I don't really have a question, but I'm in agreement with the sentiment that you express that this is a failure of education, and it's a blatant failure of education, not for Americans not to know something so important about the U.S. Constitution, and it's also an indictment on the larger society for. It's one thing, yeah, teachers should be teaching it, should be included in the lesson plans. By the way, um, when they said that slavery was over, they put an exception in there that, hey, if they convict you of a crime, they can put you into prison where thereby you'll be leased out to private corporations or the state will make money off of that that free free labor. Or as some say even today, we'll save money by using prison labor as Kamala Harris a member of your party once argued against her office argued when the Supreme Court told them that it was unconstitutional with the overcrowded conditions that they had and she was like if we get rid of her office because she didn't argue with herself but it was her office argued that we will be depleting California of its cheap labor pool but you know Scott I did a when it was the so called 150th anniversary of the 13th Amendment. You know, uh, Spielberg did a, did a movie. They even had a ceremony uh, with all these, you know, uh, Congress, important people in Washington, D.C. attending. And they were celebrating the 13th Amendment as if it abolished slavery. But I did, I, I made a video of every article I came across online that was talking about it. And this, and to, a, to each and every one of them, none of them published the entire 42 words of the 13th Amendment. It went like this, quote, involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished, dot, dot, dot. Left all of the words out. And that's intentional, don't you think, Scott? So don't feel bad that you didn't know or it was just come to your attention and it is an indictment on the education system but an indictment on the larger society but I did not know until I was 45 years old and I'm 52 now 51 now isn't that amazing isn't that amazing and 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 I and I like to say that uh uh Camilla's uh, 
uh, statement about, uh, and I believe that I was told, uh, it was Max filled me in last night, that was about firefighters in California. And obviously, uh, you know, California has a great uh, problem with forest fires. Um, so using uh, uh, prisoners, uh, convicts, you know, to fight fires would not be a uh, terrible thing to think about if they were being compensated and they were being trained as firefighters. I mean, that, that seems to me that would be a, uh, a, a great uh, path to a, uh, a, a job or, or some sort of uh, job security uh, in California if a, if a man was able to get out uh, on parole and, and proceed with that sort of training and that sort of experience. You know, but but that's not what they're doing, are they? They're they're using them as slave labor, and it's it's just about throwing uh, it's just about throwing them to the wolves. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, that is what it is. And you know, the biggest secret that's been kept from us is the secret of convict leasing, and that's mainly because it was so embarrassing globally that uh, to this nation, the cruelty that they were inflicting upon people. That in 1928, after a cave-in in the state of Alabama where 128 people were killed in this cave event, all of them black, uh, they were forced to abolish the convict leasing system. They were mm -hmm. forced to abolish it at that time in Alabama. But they didn't stop because, as you know, in Alabama today, there are factories built into the prisons where they're manufacturing goods and services for companies like McDonald's. Um, and they're also shipped out to uh, work in different facilities, and they're getting paid nothing. Like that's what Alabama's average pay over in there in, for prisoners who work uh, while in prison is zero. Uh, right. As a matter of fact, if you don't work, you're tortured, uh, put into solitary confinement, threatened and brutalized. And I'd like to ask several questions of you tonight in regards to what's happening in Alabama today that you may or may not know about. And if you do find out from his today and you're able to do something about it, that would be a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that I'd like to talk to you about or ask your opinion about is just recently there was another no-bid contract for $360 million that was given to Wexford Health, a company that has been the subject of legislative scrutiny because of its proximity to a prison bribery scandal in Mississippi. I don't know if you know what happened in Mississippi, but the entire state was shown to be corrupt. And the commissioner, longtime commissioner, Christopher Epps, is now in prison for 20 years. He's turning state evidence that's going all the way up to the governor of Mississippi. And they believe that Alabama is working with the same people doing the same thing. And just recently, we've had Alabama give $360 million in a no-bid contract to this healthcare provider that does not provide adequate health care. Mm. Yes, well, uh, you know, that's not something that I've been aware of. Uh, obviously, stories like that don't, uh, we rely on underground uh, journalism to uh, give us that kind of thing. Uh, uh, when I say underground journalism, I don't mean like uh, not dark journalism or anything like that, but, to, but like Alabama.com. Uh, would be one that that would come to mind where that's basically just internet journalism. It, it's, it's not something that's uh, you know put out in print. It doesn't make uh, uh, our uh, our uh, state. Uh, we call it citizen uh, journalism. Print. Citizen journalism is the word you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That would be a good term for. It. Um, 
so I mean we really rely on on those entities you know those journalistic uh, uh, that journalistic integrity to go out and, and seek those stories out and a lot of that stuff you know they they have to really kind of be around Montgomery to find it out um, listen I I wouldn't be surprised at all that Alabama would be involved in that in the same way uh, because we are still full of Confederate daughters and sons in this state we still have segregation in this state um, that was shown uh, mostly in uh, how our districts were drawn and gerrymandered. Uh, if you looked at my district before the redrawing just happened now where we picked up, uh, went up to 28% black. But before we were uh, like uh, 72, uh, I'm sorry, like 79% white, um, 20% uh, black, and then there was that 1% or 2% you know, of other ethnicities or whatever. Uh, above me was 32, which has gone to a Democrat, um, uh, Barbara Boyd, uh, which was exactly the opposite. Now, we've changed the line since then, and I've picked up uh, some more black populations uh, just by redrawing the lines a little bit. <coughs> but it, it hit, it struck me, uh, uh, the obvious segregation that was, that was there, uh, just even in the uh, drawing of the districts and the gerrymandering. So, uh, in regards to this incident that I was just talking to you about with your governor yeah. and the um, no bid contract just handed out like a freaking party favor for three hundred and sixty million to a company mm. that has been shown to uh, literally let people die for lack of care and not provide sufficient health care and skimming all of that money into their corporate po pockets. Is there anything that you think you can do about that? Uh, and the information, by the way, that I just provided came from one of your local independent Alabama newspapers. Right. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. Uh, I can, uh, at, in a position that I'm in, uh, just trying to, uh, as a candidate, trying to uh, find my way through a campaign, uh, being, uh, you know, sort of a novice at this. I'm not really a politician. I don't come from a... Uh, background of uh, being an attorney or um, you got a little bit of experience in criminal justice though right? I do yeah I studied criminal justice at JSU before I enlisted in the Navy and uh, you know it fascinated me uh, and the law fascinates me so I'm, I'm very interested in being a legislature I, I, I think maybe I had a little bit more of a calling to be in the legislature uh, than I did being a mayor uh, which of course I didn't win that election there um I elected a uh, mill guy for that, and this, like I said, this is a mill town. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, oh, trust me, I can relate. Right, as much as I can do, uh, you know, as a candidate in a position, is is just try to bring awareness to it and talk about it in my campaign, and and I will, uh, uh, I will commit to uh, you know doing my research, uh, making sure I get uh, the exact information on that, and start bringing it up in my campaign and in my speeches. Absolutely, just like I'm bringing up. Uh, some other things that I'm finding out um, along the way. Um, one thing I was telling you about last night, uh, Max, was uh, my campaign is is a little different uh, campaign. I'm I'm not promoting a systemic uh, by the numbers uh, type of uh, plans and solutions and answers. Uh, my campaign is more of an open discussion. Uh, I operate from a core set of values. 
uh, is how I intend to lead when I'm in office. Uh, obviously, when you when you uh, when you win an election and you're able to go into office and you're you're actually serving, then you have a lot more information available to you, a lot more power to obtain that information, and so that's how I intend to use the office. But uh, basically, I'm operating from a core set of values. I have. And I think I think that 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 core set of values for me is what's going to lead me. Uh, in uh, campaigns to uh, end uh, a lot of the injustices that we have. Uh, I would like to see uh, finding out what I've been finding out since I've uh, connected with uh, Unheard Voices and Swift Justice uh, and and being uh, privy to the information that they've been sharing with me. Um, it's been very enlightening to me, and I'm now starting to incorporate that into my campaign and speak about it and the more uh knowledge that i'm receiving with information and more i'm p- empowering myself with that knowledge i'm able to speak uh more intelligently on the matters well, and, and i, I, I hope, hope that scott, it's resonating i hope scott that that means that you'll become a regular listener of new abolitionist radio every wednesday night at eight o'clock p.m eastern time and if you're busy there's always the podcast but i do i do have a question um, mm-hmm. Now, on this program, we do keep the focus, do our best to keep the focus on prison slavery through the 13th Amendment. But we have these yes. other issues that are related to that, like what people call police brutality. We call slave catcher violence because police, unfortunately, are fulfilling some of those same roles pre-1865 uh, slavery, you know, enforcing the Fugitive Slave Act and, and other uh, racist uh, uh, and uh, aptly named slave codes. So, you know, it's not that I'm trying to bad mouth law enforcement. I know they got a bad, uh, a real big lobbying group out there, but I think we had to come to grips with this and looking at that issue and how it intersects with slavery and, and the yeah. modern role that they play in that institution still being allowed to legally is, uh, exist. But I have a question for you as about the process, though. All right, because it's, it's, it's wonderful. It doesn't matter to me that you're, you are not up to date on the issues as political junkies are, but you, you know, you have a calling um, to provide that service. As, as you just said, and you're educating, you're going through the process, you said it's an open dialogue now. That's great, and I love that. But is there any concern on, on by members of your campaign or by you yourself that the DNC may be putting its fingers on the scale of the election and in, in endorsing that their chosen candidate over you? Because I don't know if you saw the story out of Colorado recently. The candidate's name escapes me, but he's he calls himself a a Democrat slash progressive. And he mm-hmm. recorded Steny Hoyer, the number two man for, um, for um, what's her name? Nancy Pelosi. You know, she's the house minority leader. So he would, I guess be the yeah. minority whip, but the, but the number two guy being secretly recorded, which wasn't against the law in California, you know, it's a one party state. So right. he didn't violate any laws. Um, but he recorded this guy admitting that they funnel money to their preferred candidates. And this is in a primary, of course. They want they want their guy, and ideals don't matter. 
grassroots support don't matter. Polling doesn't even matter. We have our our person that we want, our candidate, and we're going to throw the full weight. And to me, that's, you know, people talking about the Russian narrative, that kind of, under you know, undermines their arguments when they're not concerned about similar things that have been confessed to, even in a lawsuit, um, right. that are going on in the Democratic primary process. So are, do you have any of those concerns about the DNC? Have you had any communication with them? Had they become involved in your race there? Right. No, they haven't uh, become involved in my race. Now, you realize I'm, I'm, with the, uh, I'm running uh, with the Alabama Democratic Party. Uh, of course, I'm sure that they have their uh, connections and stuff like that. But I can tell you that uh, it, it does exist uh, in Alabama. Uh, we can look to uh, the special Senate election last year in 2017 where Doug Jones ran against more, uh, Roy Moore. And uh, I believe it's, it's quite obvious that the DNC was favoring uh, Doug Jones in that campaign um, and his campaign. And uh, we see now, you know, Doug, he was a U.S. attorney. So he had those connections, right? Um, I can't remember who all his opponents were at this point. You know, that primary moved by us pretty quick. Doug was uh, uh, the most promoted uh, candidate um, in District 3, in my district uh, uh, right now, uh, where the uh, uh, Mike Rogers holds that seat, and he's held it since, I believe, 1998 or something like that. But uh, he's been a pretty regressive guy, a pretty regressive Republican. Uh, I thought about running against him because uh, Jesse Smith, who is uh, a, a fine gentleman, uh, uh, a veteran, uh, who I've become friends with, uh, ran against him twice. And uh, he came as close as he could to uh, beating him without any DNC help whatsoever. Well, now we have, uh, as I was looking into the uh, running for the U.S. Uh, congressional seat here in District 3, uh, rumors began to float that there was someone uh, over from Auburn who was uh, uh, being um, courted to uh, enter the race. Come to find out, that person is a uh, former Miss America. Uh, she's 29 years old, absolutely zero experience in politics whatsoever. Um, there's no doubt in my mind she raised uh, $17,000 in in a matter of three or four days. Uh, and this was right before leading up to uh, her going down and actually paying to qualify. There's no doubt in my mind that there were DNC operatives uh, working uh, in her favor. Um, she also had celebrity uh, operatives working in her favor. So you're not you're not telling me anything that I'm not aware of there. I do believe the DNC picks favorites. I do believe that they funnel money into those campaigns. I do believe that they send uh campaign operatives and uh uh team members you know to work on their campaigns and and they it provides them a great advantage against uh say like the uh, uh dia winfrey who's uh right up here above me and in tyler digger who's also running for that seat and she's got about eight thousand dollars in her uh campaign funds and she's not seeing that sort of uh fundraising success so you know i hope i can only hope that uh she will be able to get her message out and uh and compete uh with the uh former Miss America. <clears throat> now I'm not getting down on her. That wouldn't be uh 
it wouldn't be right for me to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I am saying that uh, uh, by example, uh, it, it's it's a pretty obvious your outside forces thing. outside of the state picking and choosing, interfering in, in I feel like, sure. undermining democracy. So the reason mm-hmm. I ask that question is because the DNC, and I, did, I understand you making a distinction between the Alabama Democratic yeah. Party versus the DNC, but the DNC and by default the Democrats, and I'm talking in Congress, and it's usually that way, in the houses have been fully supportive of prison slavery. I mean, Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. had to get called out by a Black Lives Matter activist in Boston for accepting uh, prison lobbyist money. And mm-hmm. in the DNC has not did not work to really pass a bill that was in, introduced to abolish uh, private prisons and, and the profiting off of prison slave labor. So that's why I asked that question, would there be sure. any impediment that you see coming from the establishment to prevent your abolitionist aspects of your platform, uh, you know, progressing? I, I don't I don't know that they've even heard about it. Uh, I, I doubt that seriously that they have. I don't believe they're keeping up with me. Uh, I haven't had any uh, anyone reach out. But you know, talking about um, talking about the Clintons and uh, and what we discovered about them. You know, it was Bill who, uh, uh, which you know at the time I was very proud of him. I, I, I thought that he was a great president. And but we look back to the 1990. Was it 1990? Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But the 1996 crime bill uh, that he put through, which uh, 1994, 1994, right, which brought in three strikes, you're out. And uh, yes. some mandatory sentencings, yes, uh, and a lot of a lot of you know, and now they're they're apologists for that, you know, and they're apologists uh, apologizing for uh, their role in in what's become uh, a, a very serious problem in mass incarceration now. You know, I don't know how serious we can take them. We, you know, we're one of the few that really went Hey, Max, uh, one last question on before you move right. on. Um, yes. Scott, where do you stand on the abolition of prisons? There was a bill introduced into Congress in 2016. It didn't get very much establishment support, but it would abolish all private prisons and only states would be able to maintain and operate uh, prisons. And it wouldn't be traded on a stock market just like, you know, slaves right. were traded on blocks on Wall Street back Absolutely. in the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can tell you that I have been and, uh, uh, am uh, publicly stating that I am firmly against the privatization of prisons. Um, I, don't, I believe that once we introduce the uh, profit motive into uh, the prison system, uh, we just end up creating a cycle uh, that's going to try to feed itself. Uh, when you have a profit motive, you're obviously going to try to... Uh, operate that system based on the uh, supply and demand uh, business model. Um, I've composed a argument today uh, for abolishing the exception clause, and this was just a, uh, a beginning to my thoughts on, on how I would present an argument an argument in the, uh, in the House in Alabama. Now, I would like that argument to uh, extend past Alabama, of course, and go to um, 
um, the U.S. Congress and, and, and start to begin talking about abolishing the exception clause in the 13th Amendment. And uh, from there, you know, if we can do that, then, then we can start to address the uh, uh, justice reforms, uh, you know, from top to bottom um, that would be uh, more in a moral vein uh, as well as uh, looking at the economic factors uh, in order to make the uh, argument very convincing. But uh, I've got two versions of it. I, I made a short, simple version of the argument, uh, <clears throat> but I had a longer one as well, if you'll bear with me. Uh, the question, uh, why should we abolish the exception clause? Because when the state values cost savings on labor by indulging itself in coercion of involuntary servitude, as punishment for crimes, it ensures a requirement for convictions to supply a demand for units to fulfill quotas created by expenditure. Understand? Created by an expenditure. In other words, an expenditure is creating that demand of its own making, thereby causing a compulsion in the state to increase the rate of prosecution, effecting treatment under the law and the creation of laws to expand on the possibility for infractions to the law. The simple version of that was when the state seeks to secure savings in labor costs by indulging in coercion of involuntary servitude as punishment, it ensures a demand for convictions imminent to supply the expenditure. Understand? Imminent to supply the expenditure causing a compulsion for expanding prosecutions by affecting treatments under the law. I think that's a great <clears throat> a, a great proposal, uh, Scott, in very codified, Americanized language that doesn't even bring up the issue of race, but just points out this language in law that uh, increases the likelihood that um, we'll have plenty of slaves for you know the state to profit from. Or quote unquote oh, save money, but in the economic isn't, isn't language so important? I mean, yes, I mean, our is. entire constitution, our everything is based on the language that we use, you know. And you'll notice I didn't say uh, by affecting equal treatments under the law. To say equal treatments right uh, tends to bring another factor in there because there was a time in this country when we considered black people to be unequal. So if you were to add that word, right? If you were to add that word, then you're eliminating, you're eliminating the ability for everyone to be included under that statement. Right, right. Max? Yes, sir. There was a couple of things I, I, I did want to get across, but I wanted to be able to open the line up for in case anyone wants to call in and ask you a few questions. But let me get mine out of the way as, as quick as mm -hmm. possible. First, uh, this is not the question, but it is a question. Will you be visiting the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration there in Alabama? I will at some point, yes. I haven't made any direct plans uh, at the moment, but I do uh, intend to. I think it would be a really good idea, especially after having a conversation with slavery abolitionists on air <laughs> right. to go uh, in yeah. and take a look and get the feeling of the place right there. Yeah. I'd also I, I've like seen I've seen the uh, online uh, uh, video and, and watched uh, the uh, the opening, you know, when they opened it and stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, impressive. Very impressive. I plan on going to see it myself. You said that you're against the privatization of prisons, but I just want to make something clear. Privatized, private prisons are an issue, yes, but the privatization aspect doesn't end at the prisons. Even the state, federal, and local facilities, as I mentioned earlier with the governor giving this $360 million handout, are dealing directly with private industries that supply goods, services, health care, you name it, for the prisoners in these federal, state, and local institutions. So whether you're in a private prison or not, there's still at least a dozen vultures sucking the blood out of you oh, yeah. through private industry. Right. And that's all pushing this thing to be even worse and worse and worse. And you asked earlier about why is it popular now? Why you know why are people starting to talk about it now? Because we all knew, and to some degree, people have always known, but why now? And I'd like to say that New mm-hmm. Abolitionist Radio has had quite a bit of success in making that happen. That was our goal. And uh, Congratulations, too. Congratulations on that. And thank you for being there. Uh, you know, to bring that message to the people. Yeah, we were like a broken record for seven years straight all the time uh, until Listen, it started I, spreading. I'm so I sorry it, it it took so long, you know, to really take off. You know, I think the documentary, uh, the was it the 13th? 13th, yes. Uh, yeah, the next, the uh, Netflix uh, documentary, I, I believe that that was, you know, very impactful uh, on, on bringing it more to the mainstream. Uh, You're absolutely yeah. right. People are actually having discussions all around the country. Uh, lawyers, guilds coming together to watch this film, professors, students, everything. I've been part of at least a dozen of them. It was yeah. a big help. But it's also part of uh, other instances where this type of information has come out wide scale and globally. So the movement is real and it's, been, it's really taken a lot of traction now. We've had many abolitionist candidates. As a matter of fact, a year ago today, we had David Coma here who was running for Congress in South Carolina on an abolitionist mm-hmm. platform. And you remind me very much of him. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, you both seem to care, really care, and took the yeah, time to yeah. try to work this out in your head. And that's right. really all we're asking for. It's 47 right. words long, the 13th Amendment. Right. Anybody with a fifth-grade education can read it and think. That's all you need to do. Right. And in this climate, it's hard not to see how it actually works. Uh, here's my question for you. I don't know if you know about the Free Alabama Movement uh, or Kinetic Justice, what he's been going through. Mm-hmm. He helped organize some of the prison slave labor work strikes that have been going on throughout the prisons across America. And because uh-huh. of that, he's being tortured right now. He's right. nearly, I think he's like four years in solitary confinement. Right. And we know that the uh, human rights networks and uh, international organizations have all said that that is torture. Mm-hmm. So yes. if there's anything you can do to help that brother out of solitary confinement after all these years, would you be willing to do that? I would be willing to do that. Uh, absolutely, I, I will. Uh, and I would hope that, you know, from the power of the office, if I can get in, in, in the office, that I'll be able to apply the power of the office to, uh, um, you know, sort of try to affect that. Uh, not you. only affect that, but affect... Uh, uh, you know a lot of the uh, prison injustices that are going on is so I was uh, talking to Sw- uh, Swift one day um, and we were talking about um, you know him trying to get his message out to legislators and, and, and not getting much feedback you know or anything like that and I said well listen man you know it's, uh, from from the standpoint of where I'm at you know I'm obviously I'm trying to you know first uh, win a campaign in a, in a 
uh, a centralized uh, uh, central Alabama district uh, that's pretty strongly been has been pretty strongly Republican. I'm run, maybe running against what uh, would be a 40-year-long incumbent who's been there in there since 1978 uh, if he wins his primary. But I told uh, uh, I told him I said uh, if I'm able to get into the office, you'll see me down there. Um, and he warned me that. Um, well, you know, uh, when uh, legislators or uh, uh, media or whoever comes down to visit and stuff like that, they roll out the red carpet and they change things up and they don't let them in certain areas. And and so I think that would be uh, an advantage to me if I, if I am able to win. Uh, it would be an advantage to me to be loaded for bear uh, with that certain knowledge uh, to know how that uh, when I'm being uh, hoodwinked uh, on a tour or whatever, or not being able to speak to the people that I want to speak to, uh, I have to go down there and ask directly for them. And, and I actually would do that. Uh, that I, I would make a commitment to that, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all I wanted to get across. There's so much more we could talk about, and likely you and I. Well, they want to silence him. Further. They want to silence him because he yes. has power, right? He has power to move uh, people inside. That's exactly it. And not just inside, internationally, people took Internationally, them. absolutely. It's why they're fighting so hard to uh, get rid of cell phones from prisons, even though it's the guards who are bringing them in, because right. they don't want people to know what's going on inside these prisons. Once those doors close, the cameras ain't showing you nothing unless you dig really deep. And here, we have dug very deep. I tagged you in some, some things that you need to know about, the first being what's happening in the Mississippi prison system and why they think that it may be happening in Alabama. This is a, a huge. So if you just check out the Rachel Maddow shocking corrupt, corruption exposure in prison system, I tagged you on it. Uh, that would be a beginning. It would really open your eyes to what is happening systemically to people right. of color, particularly in the state of Alabama. Right. Uh, Scotty, they happy to. Thank you. Yeah, Scotty, was um, there anything that you want to ask? Yeah, I'll just make a line? recommendation if if you want to, in a historical context, you know, because you never know when you're armed with that knowledge how you can use that knowledge, but for historical context of modern-day slavery and human trafficking, as we discuss it, as it pertains to all of these exception clause, not just in the U.S. Constitution, but also in the Alabama uh, Constitution is to watch the documentary or read the book Slavery by Another Name, which goes directly from the stupendous fraud of the Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War, the 13th Amendment, and then convict leasing. Because just to put it in simple layman terms, that's what we're looking at all across right. this nation is, is a, a um, re-energized um, convict leasing system that has been incentivized by those expenditures you talked about earlier so right. check that right. out and uh, well, just, we, we, what we need to do though is we need to we need to change uh we need to change that uh that idea of um uh involuntary servitude to something that's voluntary um we need to, to to provide a reward system there. Um, you know, if if or just if pay them a, fair uh, wages. prisoner is uh, is uh, rewarded and has incentive, you know, IGT has an incentive to uh, uh, do good time and uh, work towards uh, a parole that is more of a 
of a right or or a guarantee to him uh, that he has to look forward to, and then if he's compensated, you know, so that if he if he does get that parole and he has something to start out on, mm-hmm. uh, we, then we reform uh, rehabilitation, we reform our parole uh, system, uh, uh, and, and we incentivize better behavior inside, which creates more safety for everyone. You know, the right. prisoners and and correction officers alike. And well, we the, cut down on cost and like healthcare cost and injuries and and oh man, it just goes on and on. And the right. List of information I said I provided with you and tagged you on it. One of them is uh-huh. called our Freedom Bill. It's a yeah. prisoners' bill of rights from the Free Alabama Movement. I've, I've read so, it. Yes, well, Scott, I, I have it. I have it on PDF in my folder. Perfect. Well, perfect. Scott, so um, I got both of those and the uh, relief bill too. And Scott, I just want to say the key thing that stood out to me tonight that I heard from you was. If we just change that exception clause, then, then being the operative word, we get into reforming all of the related, right. you know, laws and systems that have been set up. Um, right. That's very key because I call it the first domino. That, it is. That while we're right. fighting against, simultaneously fighting against issues of police violence or violence in jails and and other systemic abuse like that which are in fact crimes but focus if we can really get the energy and the resources behind changing the exception clause Colorado almost did it uh private prisons poured in money and camp and ads on I think it was proposition T which would have changed this removed the exception clause so that right there you know, is very key. And they know it. Those who profit from it know it. So that right. I'm glad you said those things that it's about priorities, man. And that's that first domino to fall, and then the rest will fall. But thank you. Right. That's all we, I have for you We have to tonight. remove that. Right. We have to remove that as the main driver because that's right. the main driver. It doesn't matter where you're at in the world. If there's a loophole to be exploited, no matter how criminal it is, it will be exploited. It's as simple as that. And that's what we're allowing with this 13th Amendment exception clause. It's why today, anybody in the world can go to a uh, online broker or call their broker and buy prison stocks, which is basically, in effect, owning people. Mm. Well, Uh, Absurd. (laughs) Absurd. I called BS on that. And that's the official statement. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is BS. What we want to do is take a a commercial break real quick. When we come back on the other side, we want to open up the phone lines if anybody has any questions for you. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas. We're talking with Christopher Scott Brewer, and we'll be right back after these messages. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. If you have a question or a comment, you can call in at 704-802-5056. If you're already on our uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network, page you can just unmute yourself by pressing star star uh scotty anyone 
Yeah, um, Otis is on the board. Otis, thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Um, what did you think about the conversation we had uh, with Scott there, Christopher Scott Brewer, who's running for District 33 in Alabama? Oh, I, I'm loving the conversation. Uh, you guys covered a lot of stuff on there. And uh, I, how you doing, Scott? I'm doing good. How are you, Otis? I don't, I don't know for sure how you got your campaign going, but I'm, I'm uh, an old dog in these kind of fights, and I'm going to give you a suggestion that might be able to help you out. We cover a lot of stuff here, and one of the things that you were talking about about an incentive in the system for the, for the prisoners. There's another driver behind this too. Uh, none of these states are putting money into public defenders which means most of them have some really huge cases and the case overloads are forcing people to plead guilty. Uh, I think they call it pleading to daylight is one of the terms that's used. I was going to offer you a suggestion that if, you, if you're if you not sure if you can get somebody to speak out for you, if you talk to a few of the public defenders down there in the area, you might find some people that will be willing to work hard for you right. if you're talking about funding them so they stop having these 150, 160 case overloads and not being able to give people uh, adequate representation. Another suggestion is you're about 50 miles away from a gentleman who's uh, a commentator on politics, and he's in the Birmingham, Birmingham area, and Eric Welch Guster, if you uh, look him up on Facebook, you might be able to talk to him and be able to assist you with getting some people behind you in that area because he covers a wide swath in that Alabama area. Eric, I'll, I'll look him up. Thank you, and I'll take that advice to heart. We're a very helpful community when it comes to what we're about. If we right. find a candidate who sees what we see and is willing to work hard and put this as a priority, we'll back them as best we can and get everybody we can to do well, so as well. Right. Well, we're we're in an immediate urgency here in Alabama. I mean, the federal courts have already intervened, so we we have an urgent situation going on right now. And uh, we we've got, uh, I believe, is a company from Atlanta. Uh, who was another private company, you know? And uh, they're supposed to uh, offer some recommendations for Kay Ivy, uh, the Confederate daughter of the South. So. We'll wow. see how that goes, but you know, I, I I don't know what the situation will be by the time I get to by the time I get to my election, which is in November, because I don't have a pon- an opponent for the primary. But uh, we'll see, we'll see what they what they have on the plate. Okay, well, if you get the opportunity, I really would love to have a text version of what you uh, said earlier. Your thoughts on making sure. a difference with the thirteenth? I'd love to have that <clears throat> and send it out so people can see what you're about and what you how you feel about this. Did, did uh, I hear so, Scott correctly? <coughs> Excuse me. Did yes. you say you don't have a primary opponent? That's correct. Yes. Wow! Wow! That's a great that's platform awesome. <laughs> to be able to share. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a great platform to be able to share abolitionism, abolitionism with Alabamians. Right. And I've already been doing that, uh, not not in the uh, uh, not in the direct term uh, abolitionist, but uh, I'll I'll start using it a little bit more, I believe. Yeah, and you know, don't uh, sometimes people get a little confused when we say abolitionism. We're talking about abolitionism in this truest sense, the same abolition that Harry Tubman talked about, and Frederick Douglass talked about, because it's right. legalized slavery. And right. I know that's right. a shock to the system, but it changes how you see 
everything after that. And that's what we've been trying to get people to understand. You can't treat slavery the same way you would treat mass incarceration. Mass incarceration, there's no laws against that. There's no international laws that protect you from mass incarceration, but from slavery, there are laws that we could use on these same instances. And we've been very successful in those in the past, particularly with RICO charges. As a matter of fact, Alabama suffered RICO charges recently, as we talked about the other day, with their for-profit private probation companies who were literally forced to take up roots and get the hell out of Dodge. Right. Right, and we just went through that experience too. We just uh, our mayor almost got caught up in that uh, because we had a contract with that company, uh, JCS, that was here, and uh, they got targeted for uh, the uh, running a debtors court. They would get people uh, hung up in uh, something like a traffic ticket. Uh, and yes, poor people they can't, they can't afford you know to pay a hundred fifty dollars, two hundred dollars on a traffic ticket, and then you know an added a uh, hundred and twenty something dollars or hundred thirty something dollars for court costs. So they, you know, put it off for a little while. Then they get their driver's license suspended. Then they get arrested again. Next thing you know, they're in the uh, back into that parole. Uh, they were back into that parole system. Who, who, by the way, uh, is is relinquished by the state to, to that being a private entity uh, handling her. Uh, this is one case that I'm speaking of in particular. And this was a lady over in Vincent, and and she was literally uh, harassed. And then they put a private company was able to get a warrant put out on her uh, for the debt that she owed on her parole fees. And they they ended up putting her in jail. Now, this happened over and over and over and over. You know, both uh, debtors prisons and Mm -hmm. prison leasing are supposed to have been abolished in Alabama. And yet they are both in practice in Alabama right now. And that's a crime. That is literally a crime especially right. when you can prove it as you can do easily. Um, right. Well, if the, unless there's any other questions, Scotty, did you have anything else before we uh, uh, start to close it up? Um, no, I'd just like to wish Mr. Brewer uh, good luck with your campaign. Anything we can do to help, just uh, let us know through your contacts with the program. But thank you for the views that you expressed tonight and coming to you know, um, the true knowledge about slavery in this country and Alabama in particular that we've been lied to for however many years we've been alive in the United States about slavery being abolished in that exception clause is, is the is the proof right there. So thank you right. for spending time. And the key. And, and the key. That's the key. right. Right. The domino. Knock Before right we get there. off here, though, I, I would like to weigh in on one thing. Sure. Can and I I'd weigh in on like the can I'd I play like in on the Kanye thing? Yes, I'd like to do that. I, I, and I also heard... want you to uh, uh, give us any information you want to provide, how people can contact you or support you oh, in yeah, any way. Yeah, yeah okay. sure. Uh, uh, well, you can, get, uh, you can go to my website, which is uh, brewerforallhouse.com. That's going to be B-R-E-W-E-R-F-O-R-A-L uh, house.com. Uh and then all of my social, uh, my Twitter and my uh, social media page on Facebook are under the same thing, BrewerForAllHouse.com. I believe the Twitter has got a number four in it for the four. Uh, you can connect with me there and say tweets. And, uh, you know, that's where I'm really sharing a lot of my my uh, thoughts and, uh, and, and jotting a lot of my uh, platform uh, stuff down. But uh, at the campaign site, uh, you know, there's, there's a platform uh, layout there as well. 
uh, as uh, my interview from the Daily Home, which is in the media section. And also I have a news uh, tab there where I write blogs, and I'm uh, supposed to be there for, like, updates and stuff like that. You know, most candidates would put something there like, uh, you know, enjoyed uh, being at the uh, Lions Club thing or whatever, but that's not how I'm, you know, operating. I'm operating as a blog, and I'm speaking freely and openly about uh, – and forming my uh, opinions and and uh, reporting my opinions and, and writing my dissertations on uh, how I intend to lead and what I intend to go after. I'm glad that you are a man who is guided by morals, ethics, and principles. I heard you say that earlier, and I'm appreciative of that. So you Thank want you. to say something about Kanye? Oh, I just wanted yeah, to weigh after, in on the whole thing about, about his Kanye, talk about me, uh, prisons. That, Scott. He, was, he was speaking as a metaphorical uh, thing he, he, where uh, I believe the normal uh, saying would be that uh, you know we're slaves uh, to the system uh, or that uh, it's a mental slavery uh, and then he 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 didn't like the fact that uh, they were using the words uh, slavery so he changed it to prison and uh, yeah it was a metaphorical thing it wasn't a physical thing. all right um Scott before you go I think we do have one more call are you up to take this call? I absolutely am, yes. Okay, looks like we have a call from your state. Uh, 251, your mic is open. Thank you for calling New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, state your name. Go ahead with your question or comment for our guest tonight. Peace, y'all. It's Tad. How, how's it doing? Great broadcast. Tad. Tad, I'm, I'm, I'm great. How are you, Tad? I, I'm well. Appreciate it. I, I had a question just because, um, and appreciate, you know, what you what you put forth today, and the fact that you know you're coming into recognition of abolitionism and the Thirteenth Amendment and the rest. Now, what I'm wondering about, because you've mentioned multiple times now, as far as your candidacy being guided by core values, a core set of values, and I was just wondering. Pardon if I missed uh, this portion of it if you touched on this, but if you could share with us what uh, that core set of values entails. Uh, well, it it is the key uh, value that I have is honesty. Um, I've always been told that uh, my father was uh, honest uh, to uh, probably a fault, and uh, I found that in myself. Uh, my mother used to say that she always knew when I was lying because I just wouldn't say anything, right? <laughs> so if I didn't want her to know something and she asked me about something, instead of lying about it and telling her a story, I just wouldn't say anything. So I have a really hard time with uh, guilt. <laughs> so that that that's that for me is 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 where I base a lot of my uh, principles uh, is from honesty, uh, integrity. Uh, integrity means a lot to me. Uh, if if my integrity is threatened, uh, anyone accuses me of not uh, showing uh, a, a good amount of inte- or the uh, the integrity that I believe that I possess, then I'm going to get very defensive of that. Um, accountability. Uh, take responsibility for what you've done in in your life. Take responsibility for the the, uh, 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 the power that you're going to. Uh, 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 implement, you know, as a, as a leader, uh, as a legislator, um, 
uh, just those, those kind of principles to me are the, uh, the foundation of who I am. Awesome. So uh, there's an interview also on his webpage tag where he uh, talked about a lot of those things. That's where I learned about his principles and such on his uh, news page. Well, actually, it says media. So if you go to the website and click media, you'll see the interview there. Tag, did you have anything else? Great question, by the way. Much appreciated, Brother Scotty, and and to you, Brother Max. I will check out the website. My follow-up question, if you have time, uh, Scott Brewer is, and pardon again if this was already covered, but how did you come into contact with Swift Justice, and what is your relationship with Free Alabama Movement? Um, Well, that's easy enough. I I was contacted on Twitter, and... and, uh asked a question from a very uh um uh Naisha. Uh, yeah Naisha man she's she's awesome she rocks you know and she uh she she wasn't pushy about it but she wasn't going to take no crap either you know so uh I believe you know I might have been I believe I surprised her a little bit because I was open to I was open to answer her questions and then I believe she was surprised by a few of my answers and uh she uh uh, we were we were first uh uh engaging in, in tweets back and forth and she was uh tweeting back like in between some of my thoughts she asked me one like one question and i gave her like a, a five bullet uh answer and and she was like you know coming in to ask me questions in between i was uh, a a long thought and i'm i'm kind of guilty of of being long-winded sometimes but i like to be in depth i believe that people deserve a um people deserve for to to know fully what what you're trying to get at you know so uh that's how uh we came uh in contact and from there that conversation uh continued uh she put me in uh contact with uh our our contact down in uh <clears throat> at more uh swift justice and uh i've opened up a dialogue with him um and then I did the interview with uh, Naisha uh, on uh, Facebook Live, and uh, I've uh, developed a uh, friendship uh, with the organization and uh, a closeness uh, now with uh, Swift Justice, uh, who's been helpful in uh, you know helping filling me with that knowledge that I need to know, and and so that's and and of course they led me uh to this interview tonight so i'm you know very thankful of that and i'd like to send out uh uh my thanks to them for uh helping me with my campaign and endorsing me and uh connecting me with uh this fine group of people here thank you too brother uh indeed i'm just glad that we were able to enlighten you a little further not only of the uh what we're dealing with but the seriousness of it because there's just so many people dying and suffering right now. So, Tag, I think the, he was saying that the Free Alabama Movement is connection is through swift justice. Yeah. No doubt. appreciate that. And, again, dope broadcast as ever. I'll, I'll continue to peep it out. No doubt. Well, uh, Brother The board's clear Scott? now. So, um, if we want any, to Any final right? comments for the evening? It's, or, Scotty, you just had something? Um, no, just want to thank him again for joining us, and I will follow his campaign and look him up on social media and follow him there. 
and uh, retweet any thoughts or points of law that I'm in total agreement with uh, to our audience because we do have a global audience, but our primary audience is in North, is in uh, excuse me, uh, I was about to say North America, but the United States. I, I have a question. I, I, what are y'all's thoughts on uh, the uh, digital platform for uh, for the future of uh, campaigning and, and politics and, and elections? The future? Well, that depends on, you know, Zuckerberg just gave his uh, testimony to Congress and he -hmm. pretty much throws social media under the bus. Uh, We run a a nonprofit that targets uh, black people because there's a lack of of black media independently owned or from a black perspective and not a corporate, you know, sock puppet. No disrespect to sock puppets, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and so you know, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there, laughing at my own joke. Digital, what, what was the question again? Digital media in the future. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so on, on di- digital media, Zuckerberg threw us under the bus. He was saying it needs to be regulated and all of that. You know, and I and I I'm for getting the government out of things like prison and the privatization we talked about tonight. You know, the no bid contracts and all that. But I ain't asking for more because you right. you know Zuckerberg ain't the only uh, platform out there, and that's a private business entity. And right. and like I tell people, you don't just get to come on my on my platform that I build or represents our organization or our organization has, you know, public ties to, you're not going to come on and use certain language. Like, you know, you're not going to use terroristic language. You're not going to, any other common decency um, things you would find in community guidelines. And so Mark Zuckerberg saying, well, we invite regulation. I mean, what do we need? The the social media community has pretty much been self-regulated up to this point. If you get some bad information well, that's on you if you didn't do your research or one of your what are your um, um, people that you in contact with will point out to you the fake news or you should maybe look at something else. You know, so we don't need government regulation um, uh, in that. But in terms of using it as a campaign tool, I think Barack Obama, you know, kind of was a pioneer in that. Yeah. And you could learn lessons from his campaign and his deployment a social media, but from my experience, I do have experience running a social media um, uh, presence for um, man. What was the candidate name? It was the Green Party. Uh, he was running for Senate um, for South Carolina. Um, man, I can't recall his name. Um, but it's a very low cost way if you don't have a big budget to pay for like TV ads, and y'all know how much that time costs, especially right. doing a political yeah. campaign. Uh, Facebook ads. I ain't never bought Twitter ads, but I I assume it's similarly priced. Um, will get you a you know a bang for your buck for what yeah. you spending, and the, then the way you can geo target your audience. You can target your district. Only your district right. is seeing these posts. You know what I'm saying? And it's a yeah. way, like you said, is important to you when you explain the process between you and Naisha. Um, you know, have an open dialogue with the right. community that you that you say you want to serve and represent. So social media is a way to bypass the filters of the corporate media 
and mm-hmm. and really get in touch with what and and have a platform or a dialogue where people can just be open and honest, and we're not just getting right. a bunch of talking points. So uh, right. to answer your question, is a a great value tool. Thank you. I just say that uh, the future is now, and you are here uh, talking about your run for the House of Representatives. That is the future. Right. <laughs> Independent media <laughs> is really where it's at right, right now. Right, right. It serves, as, it serves as an example. Right, exactly. Right, That's right. right where it's at right now. That's how people are learning most of their real news. Uh, they aren't even right. paying attention to the mainstream media anymore, and they're bleeding it out in terms of viewership. Right, uh, and I'd just like to say on that point, too, man, you know, uh, for everyone who's listening, which I'm sure everyone who's listening on this network, it, it, they understand the uh, need to be smart. You know, um, don't fall for uh, for everything you see. You know, we, we, we went through a couple of years, man, where just we, we had such a great divide happen over, uh, and, you know, I hate to call them out so badly, man, but, conservatives and republicans they are just absolutely in a bubble and in an echo chamber with with just absolute lies absolute lies and and even when when we got down to like the black lives uh matter thing you know when it when when social media was beginning to pick up and 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 their message was coming through loud and clear this is for all of us you know, it's not it's not a, a, a central centralized on just uh, black lives. It's just that black lives happen to be the um, um, predominant victim the, of it. The, the pro- predominant victim of it, but it's it's the platform for, for jumping off for uh, uh, the message, which is for all of us. You know, this can happen right. to all of us. For the first time in history, white people are being enslaved. Legally, yeah, exactly. the 13th Amendment, it's right. time for them to stand up and fight for the same things that we're Well, not just for. because they're white, though. You know, not just because they're white. Uh, well, if just... it was really mass incarceration, there'd be 4 million more uh, European Americans in the sure. prisons themselves. So they call it mass incarceration, and it's a misnomer. Right. But yes, yeah, uh, yeah, Scott. White people are being affected as much as two million are incarcerated. I think. Yeah, Scott. I right. think what right. Max Max is saying. I, well, I know that's what Max is saying. Is that? Oh, well, I Scott, understood. I was just yeah. The that, first. So. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Because it is. No, it, it's a historical fact for the first time in U.S. history, not North American history, but U.S. United States of America, which is now you know a corporation, <laughs> but that. For the first time, according to the law, a person, regardless of their skin color or, or status, citizenship status, can be sentenced to a term of slavery. And that that's right. just the truth of the of the words. Right. And and listen, let, let me let me make sure that, that I'm clear on this. Uh, you know, when when I talk about uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter message and and how you know. Uh, White people, you know, beginning to see some uh, incarceration stuff that they shouldn't be outraged or, or be concerned, you know, because of their skin color or anything like that. What I what I really want to make a point about is that it's such a testament. It is such a great testament to the black community uh, that they stand from from the days of, of I suppose Frederick Douglass. I didn't live back then to hear the man speak, but I know. Uh, Dr. King, the way he spoke, uh, his message for civil rights, and and even today at this great turning point that we're at, uh, where we're being uh, in, so enlightened 
and we're bringing the message out so loud and clear a great testament to the black community that they stand for all people. Well, we a appreciate that. And that has stands always, for all people. That has always been the case that whatever affects the least among us, if we want to talk about biblical scripture, the least among us, you know, then it, it can, it, it eventually will work its way up to include others. If we want to you right. know, talk about others, but if we're being honest, which you said is one of your core values, we are not fans of the National Black Lives Matter organization, if we're going to be honest. So we really don't endorse them. Some of the issues that they highlight, of right. course, we agree with. But some of even, you know, we've talked about on this program, an article one of the founders put out who's that's why Max pointed out to you on this program we're talking about slavery abolition understand yeah. we're not talking yeah, well, about my, my, my point yeah. was basically about the message you know the, the difference between how the message is received right uh, on, right. on the, the right that you know, they compared live in. to how uh, you know a lot of us here on the left receive it right the that bubble right. that they live in I got you yeah right you you are right but I remember also that one time Republicans were Democrats and Democrats were Republicans until Somewhere around the 60s when they used that Southern strategy and switched places. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the hell happened, but they switched places. Yeah, the Southern strategy, man. You know, I didn't gravitate with that. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your words with us here tonight. I hope that we remain in communication. Uh, we'll support you in any way that we can. And please continue to speak on this issue of modern-day slavery and human trafficking uh, through the 13th Amendment. And when we mention human trafficking, by the way, Scott, we're talking about how these uh, prisons are shipping prisoners across state lines in order to fill quotas at prisons in other states. Right, and right. Uh, that is human trafficking. It's supposed to be illegal. So yes. Uh, yes, thank you indeed, my brother, and I hope that you are very successful, Scotty. Anything? No, thank you, Scott, and good luck. Thank you, what Scotty, and thank you, Max. Great, great. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to a video clip from. Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative, who just opened up the museum there in Alabama where you're at. And then we're going to have some uh, discussion about what he said afterwards and go on with the rest of our stories. Please continue to listen in. Let's Scotty, take an early wanna... break and I see the video. I'll prepare the video that you posted in our uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network chat room. So let's take an Great, early break, Scotty. Max. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, where we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking in the 21st century. We'll be right back after these messages. would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. 
Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help when we you have be a informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Consciousness of how frequently we have failed to address racial bias and discrimination, I think it can hopefully hopefully increase our consciousness now. I mean, the reason why the United States Supreme Court issues the decision it issues in Shelby County, the case where they decided to retreat from uh, the Voting Rights Act, is because they don't actually understand the weight of this history, the legacy of this history. The reason why the United States Supreme Court in McCleskey versus Kemp in 1987 talks about the inevitability of bias and discrimination in the administration of the death penalty is because they don't understand the obligation, the moral obligation to overcome this history. Our journalists do this all the time. They minimize bigotry and discrimination. They marginalize stories about racial bias. And I think to get them to understand why they should not do that, we have to remind them of how they are replicating the failures of journalists generations before them. During the Civil Rights era, most Southern newspapers were indifferent to the activism of Dr. King or hostile to it. And, you know, I've said this before, everybody wants to think that if they were alive during slavery, they'd be an abolitionist. Everybody wants to think that if they were active during the time of lynching, they'd be rallying against and trying to prevent lynchings. Most of us believe that if we were alive and in a position to march in the 1950s, we'd be on the side of Dr. King. But today, we are in the face of all of these problems. One in three black male babies is expected to go to jail or prison. Uh, there are these constant unarmed shootings, shootings of unarmed black people. And the question is, if we're not prepared to respond to these issues, if we're not prepared to act today, then I don't think we can claim that we would have acted any differently during slavery and lynching and segregation. So that consciousness for me is critical to creating our institutions, not just the press, but our courts, the police, law enforcement, our elected officials, uh, to think differently about this continuing legacy of bias and discrimination that manifests itself all the time, all the time. And that's the challenge that I see us trying to take on with these cultural projects. Well, there you have it. That is uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, who just opened the Legacy Museum and National Lynching Memorial. He's the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and an abolitionist in modern times. And uh, Scotty, did you hear what he was saying? There was a couple of things in there that really stood out for me. Because we've said them here so many times. Like everybody talking about, if I was alive in the days of slavery, I'd be an abolitionist. (laughs) I'd be doing this and I'd be doing that. But you're here now and it's happening and you ain't doing nothing. Right, right. Those are arguments that have been heard in the past in New Abolitionist Radio. And it's a very, well, it's not an argument. It's a point of fact that you could say you'd have been this, that, or the other during that period of slavery, as I call it, pre-1865 slavery. Well, if you ain't doing nothing about the slavery that you see today, in fact, you don't even understand that what you're looking at is directly tied to slavery. The police shooting unarmed people as they was trying to make a stop to fill a quota to make an arrest 
to put somebody into one of these institutions that the state, whether it be states, the federal government, or private entities who, who are profiting. So the whole interconnectedness of that. And so we've said it. You know, if you ain't an abolitionist today, what makes you think you'd have been an abolitionist then? Because even right. every black person, although the record shows a majority, but not every black person was part of the abolitionist movement. And Dr. King was mentioned earlier, there are even people in, in the community who was like, hey, I'm making a lot of money here off this segregation being the only black game in town. So if people have other options, instead of you looking at the fact that these are taxpaying U.S. citizens in in whether they anyone wants to claim to be a citizen or not, you being taxed like you a citizen and you should have had the right uh, to vote. So, you know, he is definitely on point. But I noticed, Max, the evolution of his language from the point to when he first came on the national media scene and he was talking about it kind of like everybody else in mat- terms of mass incarceration and then the abolitionist community. Um, started a dialogue with him through social media and what have you like we've had dialogue with others and his and then to you know we got the video of you going to one of the community events where he was doing a Q&A and you asked him about the 13th amendment this is a, a celebrated Harvard attorney and and you was like basically saying cut to the chase does slavery exist or does it not by the reading of the 13th amendment and he has become uh, even um, using stronger abolitionists he used the word abolitionist you know in his language and I'm wondering if you noticed that evolution yes I I have noticed the evolution uh, and I've been in contact with him since and you're right, that did kind of uh, push him forward that moment in time in Columbia, South Carolina there with all the dignitaries in the whole city in the South there paying attention and listening. And I asked him directly whether or not he thought this was slavery. And if he does, uh, does he endorse an abolitionist movement? And his answer was emphatically yes. And far more than just yes, but said everybody should be asking this same question. And he's changed a lot since then. So I got to give him props for that. He also stuck a knife in the media and I think right now he was referring to the conversation that's going on about slavery inspired by Kanye West and you have all of these media talking heads talking about slavery and completely ignoring the 13th amendment or the fact that we have slavery going on right now and they're bringing in experts that don't know their head from a hole in the ground to talk about it and that's what he said that they are just belittling it all uh, the Uh, Journalists have been doing it for decades, just downplaying the whole thing. And it's all racial terrorism is what's what's going on. So he stabbed them with a sharp knife right there in that quote. But even more than his words is his actions, because his actions, his deeds is proof of the words that, that he spoke in this new museum that he has opened up you know one of your mentees did an interview with him recently i i forget which network it might have been cbs cnn cnn CNN. and and he showed the you know they showed the exhibit where it showed victims of slavery these uh, you know to get our abolitionist language correct it's dehumanizing to call these people slaves 
when they were human beings who were victims of slavery. But he showed victims of slavery picking cotton, and then he showed prisoners in prison unis picking cotton. All right? And and he said in that interview, this is the direct line, that, you know, that we should be talking about this. It, 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 this isn't a perception. We don't perceive slavery. And I'm paraphrasing his words. We don't perceive that this is happening. Here is the historical evidence. And of course, Absolutely. the museum has the names of the victims of lynching during the so-called Jim Crow period. I was reading or listening to a video of the opening and what to expect, and they said they got a hologram when you enter the door of a dead somebody who died during the uh, period before convict leasing. And I mean, I can't wait to go see something like that. It's, it's got to be wild. Um, and he did, as you said, Scotty, multiple times, multiple videos and articles and interviews showed the direct con- uh, connection between chattel slavery in the 1600s all the way through uh, the 1865 period and up till today. And in combination with the 13th film and Do Not Resist and Slavery by Another Name, these are powerful, powerful truths being exposed. So I'm looking forward to going to see that. There's two stories I want to squeeze in, Scotty. I don't know if we have time. I'm glad the uh, other one, the other segments are short this week. But I do really want to squeeze in two stories. Okay, go for uh, it. It talks about what he's saying right now. This is uh the first one is from NYPD. This is a uh, daily New York Daily News. It says the NYPD continues to target minorities over white New Yorkers for marijuana arrests. A police reform advocacy group said Thursday. Robert Ganji, the director of the police reform organiz- organizing project, said ninety three percent, ninety three percent. Of the nearly 4,100 pot possession busts made in the first three months of 2018 involved people of color. And this is straight from the state's statistics. They say the facts are undeniable. The New York Police Department engages in starkly racially biased practices. Uh, this is despite research and experience demonstrating that white people use and sell marijuana in proportions and numbers equal to or greater than that of Americans and Latinos. So this is a huge expose that has been coming out from New York Police Department about institutional racism and about targeting blacks. Every time you do this, you're destroying people's futures. It don't end next week when they get out of uh, uh, jail on bail. If they do have a job when they get out or if they miss some payments, they probably lost everything. It take them 20, 30 years to recover if they do. And that happens thousands of times every single day. So that's the first one. I put it on New Abolitionist Lots Radio. Lots of money changing one, hands. Go ahead, Scotty. Lots of money changing hands with all those, uh, each interaction. Right. It's all about profit. And they'd rather do it to people they hate that have been uh, institutionally programmed to think of somebody less than human or less than you. And so they become the targets. And at the same time, it's happening also in Wisconsin. Their same type of expose just came out, and they pled freaking guilty. Guilty of institutional racism. The ACLU filed the lawsuit in February 2017 saying Milwaukee police routinely stopped thousands of minorities without cause or suspicion. 
Think about that now. You're just walking down the street, no cause, no suspicion. You're just black, and that's enough to stop you. Right. Such stops are violations of the Fourth Amendment, right. which require police to have a reasonable suspicion that the person is dangerous or has committed a crime, the suit says. The suit also accuses officers of conducting stop and frisk motivated by race and ethnicity in violation of the 14th Amendment. The city of Milwaukee and the ACLU of Wisconsin have reached a tentative settlement in a class action civil rights lawsuit alleging that Milwaukee police engaged in stop and frisk practices targeting African-Americans and Latinos. The possible settlement was approved unanimously Monday by the city's Judiciary and Legislation Committee. It must be approved by the full Common Council and Mayor Tom Barrett. As part of the settlement, $1.9 million will go towards court costs and plaintiff's attorney's fees, according to a letter from the city attorney, attorney general, uh, uh, Grant F. Langley. The settlement includes a five-year consent decree that requires the Milwaukee Police Department and the city's Fire and Police Commission, the Civilian Oversight Board, to reform, stop, and frisk practices, improve data collection, and require officers to undergo more training on stops and searches. A consultant will monitor compliance with the agreement, which will remain under the jurisdiction of the federal court and issue periodic reports. New York and Wisconsin all at the same time. And let me tell you something. If it's just, if you see it in New York and you see it in Wisconsin, it's because America is Ferguson. It's happening everywhere. This is the standard. This is not the surprise. This is the average happening everywhere. For those, Which is why I was, go ahead, Scotty. For those interested, uh, go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, put in the search, uh, put in the search term, America is Ferguson. That is a series that we did for New Abolitionist Radio uh, where we analyzed the FBI report from what was going on in Ferguson in terms of, you know, the police having quotas and how that worked with the jail system, the bond system, and was endorsed by the city manager. And so what we talked about, was, that's when we came up with what later uh, got JCS thrown out of Alabama, and that's RICO charges. I believe we were the first to apply uh, the logic of RICO or the language of RICO to these civil cases uh, pertaining to slavery. And so please look that up. Very important series. Um, but I would also say, though, these consent decrees, we've been hearing about them for decades and they don't seem to be solving any problems. And so they say the definition of insane is to keep doing the same thing over and over and getting the same result and you don't change up what you're doing. So what does that tell me? That if there is no threat of slavery, if a person isn't being threatened with prison slavery, they are not incentivized to stop their behavior. So we have blatant violations of American civil liberties. Doesn't matter that they're targeting black people or targeting Hispanics or they shouldn't be targeting anyone. So these are admitted, documented, uh, even admitted to violations. Uh, um, to me, should carry criminal penalties. Maybe we need to change up that legislation instead of consent decrees, which are basically pay a fine uh, to the victims or pay the victims' attorneys. The victims may get some crumbs left over, and you know, basically just a slap on the wrist. 
don't do it no more for five years. We're going to be watching you, but we'll be out of here. And we know what attorney Jeff Sessions said coming in the door of these police consent decrees that like we have with Baltimore and Detroit and and any of these other cities. Oh, we're we're not going to be monitoring you, which is a signal to those, if you want to say bad apples in the system, but, um, those bad apples that may be your partner and you looking the other way. So you know what they say about good cops. So I'm just trying to use direct, accurate language. Americans are being violated in a criminal way off to the goal for slavery, race. You can't talk about race without talking about its roots of slavery and the slave codes where race was first legislated in the colonies. So you know, that's that's all I have to say about that, Max. But look, we got a lot of work in front of us, but I feel good about the energy that I've experienced tonight that, you know, we are going to right these wrongs in our society with committed abolitionists. I believe that too, Scotty. It's the reason why I do this every day, man, because <laughs> I got a little bit of hope, you know. You have a little hope, you hold all for yourself, and then you give a little hope away to somebody else. So yeah, man, abolition, the end of slavery is is our, our hope because we believe that starting with the legality, that loophole that allows it to occur, by closing that loophole, there'll be a cascade effect after that, which will result in freedom for the first time in this country's history. All right, Scotty, we're in the last few uh, times, so let's get these uh, final two segments out. If there's any stories that we weren't able to get out this week, you can always check it out on our forums. Oh, we got the, the abolitionist uh, profile. Are you forgetting that and the writer? I have them both up right now. Um, as a matter of fact, so yep, I got them. So I was going to do those and uh, our final comments. All right, I'll start with the abolitionist in profile, Scotty. Is that all right? Uh, go for it. All right. You know, I've been trying to find abolitionists nobody's really ever heard of before. I want their names to be remembered. It's our duty to remember their sacrifices. So like last week when we found out that uh, the father of John Brown was an abolitionist, here's another one that I, I found. It's abolitionist William H. Johnson. The birth of William Henry Johnson in 1833 is celebrated on this date. He was a black abolitionist, politician, and crusader for the rights of blacks. Johnson was born near Alexandria, Virginia, of free parents. Oh, for Johnson left home in Virginia. All right. You know, I've Excuse been trying me. to find. Okay. My bad. Can you hear me, Scotty? Yeah, my oh, bad. Okay. Johnson left home in Virginia at the age of 12 to travel to Philadelphia, where he learned to be a hairdresser. He came to be came to Albany, New York in 1851, where he immediately became involved in the Underground Railroad. He assisted Stephen Myers in the work he was pursuing. He returned to Philadelphia in 1855, where he continues his work as an abolitionist and activist with the Underground Railroad. He became involved in the Banneker Literary Institute and with others, where he could write and speak against slavery. The work he was doing with fugitive slaves forced him to run away from Philadelphia in 1859. When the Civil War began, he joined the Connecticut Union, participating in the Battle of Bull Run, Roanoke, and Newburn. Johnson returned to Albany in 1864, where he began an involvement in local and state politics. He was a member of the NYS Equal Rights Committee and became its chairman from 1866 to 73. He drafted an amendment 
to the military code of the NYS striking the word white from the document. This change was accepted in 1872. He drafted civil rights legislation that became law in 1867 and assisted in abolishing the property clause in the Constitution that prevented many blacks from voting. William Henry Johnson crusaded for and won in 1891 a bill that ended discrimination against blacks in the insurance industry. After a career including the Underground Railroad, organizers, organizing volunteers for the Union Army, political and social activism, he put together an autobiography. A copy can be found in the Pruin, P-R-U-Y-N, room of the Albany Public Library and in the New York State Library archives. By the time of his death, he was a grand master in the Masons, had been a delegate to several Republican conventions, had published several newspapers, including the Albany Capitol, and produced his own biography. William Henry Johnson died in 1918. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Brother William Henry Johnson. Salute. Yeah, so again, there are many laws on the books that are still in effect, which I learned lately when we want to talk about terrorism, race-related terrorism, or religious bigotry. Um, the 1871 Klan Act is still on the books and enforceable, and I learned that from a local orga- organization. It's just that they don't they don't prosecute or they don't enforce the law. So it was interesting hearing about this abolitionist back then getting a federal law against discrimination in the insurance industry. But yet um, Obama, the Obama administration, when it was discovered that car loan uh, people as well as in uh, insurance in the insurance industry, the institutional racism and people with the same credit scores being charged uh, far more, um, and they were either black or non-white and less than white people, white Americans. And so that's still going on. So we appreciate his abolitionist uh, contributions and all the work he put in. And he put in all that work to get this law passed and it's not being forced today. Just like, you know, it, it just reminds me the law of slavery being abolished, but it's going on right in front of your face. Yes, sir. All right, Scotty, our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week has been out of prison now since 2008. That's James Owens Jr. He spent 21 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit, and he was prosecuted due to prosecutorial misconduct as well as police uh, changing evidence, lying on the stand, and on and on. He has since filed a civil lawsuit against the city of Baltimore and Baltimore now in 2018 is about to issue him 15 million dollars because he filed a wrongful conviction lawsuit against the Baltimore Police Department and two police detectives not only do we want to say welcome to freedom brother but we also want to say ka-ching now take some of that money and sponsor the abolitionist movement as much as you can Welcome to Freedom, James Owens Jr. Welcome to Freedom. And I agree. Indeed, man. Indeed. Well, Scotty, that's the end of our program. We got only a couple minutes left to say a few things. Anything you want to close it out this week with? Um, I'm just I was just encouraged by um our guest, Mr. Brewer, 
uh, who's running for in Alabama for District 33, right? The District 33. I've just yes. in, encouraged, you know, on his ability to reason in his mind from reading uh words on a document which they say is the most important document either in our state or in our nation if we're talking about the U.S. Constitution and realizing that I've been lied to all my life and I'm not okay with this exception clause and committing himself to doing something about it you know all based on if he wins so Alabama y'all need to turn out okay abolitionists spread the word we got to get abolitionists in congress so or in in our state houses so that we could tip those dominoes all right scotty um i'm gonna keep mine real simple i'm not really keen on victim blaming i mean i just i can't see it you know i've, I've studied so much of slavery so many abolitionists I understand so deeply that sometimes I feel like I was there just imagining what they were going through because I see the reflections of those things happening today. I'm not about to sit here and blame teen pregnancies for everything that's going on. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and blame addiction for everything that's going on. I'm not going to do anything to blame the people who are suffering at the hands of 400 years of oppression because they're not the freaking problem. They are the results of the problem. And the problem is legalized slavery and human trafficking. Don't you think that would cause a lot of issues? Remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution, y'all. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when 